for an example, I mean, we all know like the pandemic brought up a lot of, you know, things for a lot of us. But, you know, one of the questions I know a lot of people ask is, am I happy in this relationship or in this marriage? And we all know why we don't ask ourselves that question, because it's so hard, because what if you answer it and the answer is no? Now, all the ick that comes with it, right? It's that, well, do I have to have separate bank accounts now? Who gets the kids? You know, who stays in the house? Who gets them at Christmas? Am I going to die alone? Like all the shit that comes with asking one freaking hard question, girl, you understand why so many of us just turned a blind eye and like, well, I ain't freaking asking myself that question. And yeah. for the next five years, you keep living the same life because you're so afraid of asking yourself that one question. Hi. I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. But how, how has this time been for you? I mean, I know sort of behind the scenes and like we traded texts in the process of writing a book and the whole thing, but like, tell me about what this is all feeling like right now. Ah, oh, it's so strange. So it's, you know, I've, we've built impact theory and over time kind of evolved And I was, you know, the executive producer and the, you know, behind the scenes and getting stuff done. And Tom was in front of the camera and then me having evolved and stepping in front of the camera, building a bit more confidence, but then writing the book, it really is funny. And I don't know if you've ever felt like this. It kind of felt like every time I try something new, I go back to like being the, the total newbie, the, the step one, this is day one. And it used to really fear me, but what I've noticed that has happened in my life as I've always had the fear on day one, now that kind of fear has turned into a bit of an excitement. And so oh, cool. now, even though I had like utter fear about writing a book, because I was like, who the hell would buy a book from me? That was actually the first words out of my mouth, Rachel, when I spoke to my husband, Tom. I was like, but who would buy a book Aww. from me, babe? Um, and so, yeah, so it's actually been really fun to kind of learn, be the learner, um, you know, obviously look at, like, let me just say this, like, I absolutely looked back at your books and I like reread them and I was like, what is the things that make, obviously it's you and your voice, but it's like, I'm such a, I'm such a student that like, if I'm doing content, I'll look at the best pieces of content and say, what do they do? And what's the least aversion? Yeah. And so with the book, I literally did the same. I was like, what are all the books I absolutely love? And what did they do? So I literally picked up your book girl and I was like, all right, Rachel cool. freaking knows what she's doing. <laughs> so I just went in and I was like, oh, that's a smart strategy. Oh, I see what she did there, you know? And, um, and so it really was like, turn to the people that freaking inspire you and use that yeah. as like your superpower. And once upon a time, that would have been um, actually detrimental to my self-esteem because I think I would have, I wouldn't have seen you as inspiration. I think I would have seen it as like in being inferior, competition, all these things that we're told right. as women growing up, you know, and obviously as adults and us being friends, it's like being able to even just turn to you and text you and be like, any advice you've got on writing a book? <laughs> it's like, that's the beauty of being a woman to, in today's society. And I think the beauty about having friends that really have your back. So um, yeah, journey. Well, so tell us about what you wrote about and why you chose that topic. Okay, so the literary agent turned to Tom and was like, "Would Lisa be interested in writing a book?" And so the very first words out of my mouth when um, oh, so first of all, actually, I just laughed at Tom. I was like, "Oh, that's sweet," and I kind of went back to work. He's like, "Babe, what, what the hell are you talking about? Like, this is a serious offer from a serious agent." And I was like, "Well, babe, who would buy a book from me?" And that was like the first words out of my mouth, Rach. And this is after we've built Quest Nutrition that was a billion dollar company, Impact Theory, where we've got over half a billion views on our content. It's like the naive, the not the naive, the insecure 14-year-old Lisa is still there. And so right. in that moment, I was like, oh, bless. She never goes away, you know, and kind of just gave myself a bit of like, <laughs> a bit of a grace. And then after that, 
I was like, okay, well, what am I going to write a book about? It has to be something that very feels like me. I don't want it to be a, you know, a bio because I didn't feel quite right. I was like, I'm still on such a journey. I don't want to write a book about my life. And so people kept saying about confidence. And I was like, but who are they talking about? Like, it doesn't feel like I have the confidence. So when people keep asking me on like Q and A's on IG lives, like Lisa, where do you get your confidence from? I was like, what the hell are they seeing? Because inside my head, I'm not nice to myself, Rach. I don't Mm. say to myself, yeah, Lisa, you're a badass. You got it. No, no. The voice in my head says, what the hell do you think you're doing? Like, there is no way you, Lisa, you can write a book. Like there's that negative voice that just never goes away. And so I was like, oh, people see that I just move forward. People see that I step in front of the camera. People see that I just write a book. And so they think that that comes from confidence. But actually, it doesn't at all. It comes from not feeling competent, uh, confident, not feeling competent, and not actually having the skill set. But going, you know what? Even though I feel the fear, I'm going to put together a set of tools in order to keep moving forward. So when I feel fear of going on stage, what am I going to do? If I feel fear of writing a book, what am I going to do? Because I cannot let the fear and insecurity stop me. And so that's what ended up being the book. I was like, this is kind of like this weird inception moment where it's like, (laughs) you know, I have zero courage or zero confidence to write a book. And so I write a book about not having confidence to do things. Yeah, that's so rad. What were some of the tools that you put in there or that you discovered on this journey that you're like, okay, these are the things that we have to have in our toolkit if we're going to face the big fears. All right. So first of all is um, I talk about the purgatory of the mundane. So recognizing that you're in the purgatory of the mundane. Now, when I say that, I mean, for eight years, my life was just mundane enough. I never hit rock bottom. And I don't know about you, Rach, how many incredible people have you met where their life pivoted and changed because they hit rock bottom? Mm -hmm. Because they sat there and said, I've got nothing else to lose. Yeah, that's so real. But the people like me who didn't, the people that didn't have that jolt awake. And so in these eight years where I stayed home just to support my husband, to take care of him, to really provide, you know, I cooked for him, I cleaned for him. I was in purgatory because I never felt like I could speak up. And that wasn't a him thing. That was a me thing. I thought I needed the confidence to speak up and say I wasn't happy. I also thought how freaking ungrateful am I to say, I want to be happy. I want a different life. When I have a husband that loves me, when I have a roof over my head. So it's like this weird thing that happened with gratitude, where I started using gratitude in the first journey of my life, the first year or two was like, I know why I'm doing this. I'm supporting my husband because we're going to go out and make enough money to make movies. So I used gratitude every time I was bored, every time I was like, really, this is my life. I would use the gratitude to help me through. And I think it's beautiful. Whenever we focus on the negative, have something that is positive in your life. Yeah. The problem was, Rach, after year two, after year three, after year four, after year seven, I kept using gratitude as a way to self-soothe the deep unhappiness I ended up having. Mm. And that, I think, is what kept me stuck for eight years. Because I was like, how ungrateful am I? So I think the purgatory of the mundane is really for people to acknowledge. Like it's the pausing of your life and just saying, am I actually happy? Is this actually the life I want? Or am I living in this type of purgatory of the mundane where I'm using gratitude? I'm using all these techniques that a lot of us talk about that absolutely can help. But is it serving you? Is it serving your life? And is it serving your dreams? So or it's sort of like, um, a kind of a different way to, and you know, I love gratitude. It's a huge part mm-hmm. of my life and my meditation practice, but it's, I, it's funny. I keep hearing about kind of how we as humans self-soothe and I'm starting to hear more stories about people self-soothing in very unhealthy ways mm-hmm. with things that are healthy. You know what I mean? It's yes. like, you think of like gym bros, right? Like those guys that live at the gym and they're there all the time. And it's their lifestyle and they're doing this. But if you actually dug deeper and you started to unpack, it's like, well, I hate my job or I'm unhappy in my marriage or I'm, you know, we're trying to do other things instead of having to face the fact that we are not 
happy or, or screw happy because happy doesn't exist all the time that we're not mm-hmm. content, that we're not challenged, that we're not passionate about what comes next. So if you're hearing this and you're like, dang, I do that. What, how do you get out of that purgatory? Yeah. So I think first of all, it really is sitting there and saying, what is the life you want? Like really just sitting with no judgment and just writing it down. And that was the thing for me. It's like, I wanted to make movies, but to your point is we use these mini little distractions and it's what I actually call in the book, kill the squirrel, because you know, the dog where it's like, it's doing something oh, and squirrel. the squirrel comes, yeah. it's like, squirrel. <laughs> it like, it becomes a great distraction. And yeah. so it really is about sitting there saying, what life do you want? And starting to identify what are the squirrels in your life. So for me, to your point about it being very um, unhealthy sometimes, the squirrels that I was using was my weight. So I was like, I was brought up as a Greek Orthodox. I saw women literally calorie count. And, you know, if you put on five pounds, they they had no shame to call you fat to your face. Like I actually had my grandmother say to one of my aunts, I think like, oh my God, you're so fat. You'll never have a baby. Like just to her face. Now, my grandmother comes from a village in Cyprus. She's not educated. So it's like, you need to give that context. But that's what I saw. And so it's like the guys, oh, if you, if the guys put on 30 pounds, it meant, oh my God, your wife takes care of you. Right. (laughs) But if the woman puts on weight, it's like, oh, now desirable. So I started. Um, from a very early age is having an unhealthy relationship with food. But when I became a stay-at-home wife, and when I say stay-at-home wife, I really want people to hear that wasn't my dream. It wasn't something that fulfilled me. And so I say it as that marker, but if being a stay-at-home wife is something, like I really freaking applaud people that are doing what they love. It wasn't what I loved. So I need to give context there for a second. So when I was as a stay-at-home wife and I was taking care of Tom after that first year and a half the squirrel that I was using as you know things to do uh, to keep my attention or to distract me from my unhappiness was my weight and so I in looking back now I was every single morning I was weighing myself every single morning did I lose a pound did I put on a pound I was going to the gym I was running on a treadmill counting calories beating myself up the night before I had like an extra handful of nuts or whatever or not even nuts like a sugar-free freaking popsicle girl right. I was beating myself over right and so when people think about what are the unhealthy behaviors they have in their lives, it was like, it stemmed when I was 16. I wasn't popular. I was teased for my looks as a kid. So I, you know, very much was concerned of how I looked. When I got married, I found a man that loved me, a man that accepted me for who I was. So all my unhealthy behaviors actually started to disappear because I started to find not even confidence, but just started to really feel settled in who I was. Mm-hmm. And so now in looking back, a big thing that ended up happening was as I started to get more and more unhappy, as I started to lose all my hopes and my dreams of making movies and being in Hollywood and doing these big grand dreams that we had, I started to use my weight and like the number on the scale as a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the big thing is I didn't realize I was doing it. Like I didn't realize, or if I did, to be honest, let's face it, we have that sometimes that whisper in our head and we just ignore it we, we tell it yeah to we don't yeah. want to listen to it so I think the big first step is to to recognize if you're in the purgatory and mundane is like what what is the things that make you light up and then write a list of maybe even just what do you do on a day-to-day like as if it's like your calendar and then next to it say why you do it and what is the purpose behind it and if it leads to that dream that you want yeah. And then if you find yourself saying, wow, for four days, I didn't do anything towards that dream. It's like, okay, now you have to actually ask yourself, um, am I on, you know, on this hamster wheel and using the squirrels as a distraction? One of the things that I like to tell people to do is in my Google calendar, all of my appointments are color coded. And so to, do you do the same? Yes, so for me, <laughs> like for me, all, anything that like, feeds my soul, gives me joy, is self-care, anything like that is yellow. And then anything that is me working toward a dream, like a bigger dream, not my day job, not doing podcasts with you, but like writing a screenplay, those are mint green. And if I don't see yellow and mint green in my weekly calendar regularly, I know that I'm living my life incorrectly. It's just like a really quick gut check of like, okay, 
when is, yeah, you're doing all the things, you have all these meetings, you're doing all these podcasts, but when are you taking care of yourself? Because that's a value that you said that you had. So I love the idea of just being conscious because I think so many people, we're going so fast. We have so many responsibilities. It's hard to even notice how you're feeling or notice that you're, you're inside of a state of like going through the motions, trapped inside of those eight years and not really making change in the way you want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I've got a chapter, you know, um, life is a gamble, bet on yourself. And it's like, that's why I kind of say you have to know what that dream goal is. And you have to put like, you know, your chips down and say, this is the life I really want. And it doesn't mean yeah. that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean the journey is going to be easy at all. But then it just allows you to look at your calendar to your point, or to look at the things that are coming to you and saying, does this align with what I actually want in life? Because what I realized is, you know, at least my own journey, it didn't happen overnight, Rach. It was one little choice I made each day, every day for eight years. And so in order to get out of it, instead of me hoping that I'm going to change my life and it's going to happen today, it's like I actually gave myself the grace to go, okay, to be the person I want to be, to get to that dream, it's going to also take one small little choice on a daily basis in the right direction. And when things come at you, whether it's family and it sounds exciting or a business opportunity that sounds exciting, it's like, I need to know what my North Star is because how the hell I got stuck for eight years, I kept telling myself, oh, well, one day I'll do this when, I'll do this when my husband's happy. I'll do this when we have enough money. I'll do this when I have children. And we all know the when may never come. Absolutely. So having that North Star, knowing your direction that you're going in and then to your point of like, is my week filled up with the things that light me on fire that move me towards that goal? I think it's interesting because uh, I love that you start this conversation talking about like having the confidence to try new things or like pursue your dreams or, or put yourself out there. And I never think, I don't know for me, and I feel like it's the same for you. Like I never think, Oh, I have the confidence to be this thing. My confidence is that I trust myself to handle it when I don't get it right. I trust myself to figure it out. Like if I, when I fail, when I suck, when I do the thing wrong, I, I, it's like you and I are both speakers. We've given a ton of speeches in our life. The more you do that and the more like accidents you have or mistakes you made or what, and then you like fix it in the moment, the better you get at being able to do that. And so you have confidence, not that I'm going to go out on the stage and kill it, your confidence is that if you screw it up, you know how to get yourself out of there. Oh my God. Can we go down this path? I love this yes, so much. Absolutely. So, because I don't know how much, you know, so I think you're such an amazing speaker. I've seen you speak in real life. I've seen you on, t- I mean, freaking next level girl. I haven't actually had that many speaking gigs. And oh, really? Yeah. I've had, I think right now I've had four and you were one of them on your panel. <laughs> So, you were so good. Thank you. They're so kind. Oh, okay. I thought you did it all the time. No. And thank you. Okay. This is so beautiful because I need to tell you the first time because Tom kept telling me, you know, my husband very well. So, you know, my yes. husband, me and him have a relationship where we are very honest with each other because I want my husband to get to his goals. And so if I see him getting in his own way, it's my responsibility as his best friend, as his business partner and as his wife to tell him and vice versa so our goal is impact on a global scale Tom one time came up to me and he's like babe you know you keep turning down these speaking gigs and I just need you to know it's not moving you towards the goal you want now look if you don't want a life of speaking that's your choice but it's my duty to tell you you say you want this and you keep saying no to speaking gigs so I really sat down I was like okay let me really assess this does going on stage and speaking align with impact my mission Yes. Okay, great. Why am I not going and speaking? Because I'm petrified. Because the voice in my head is telling me, you are terrible, Lisa. You're going to freeze. You're going to bomb. People love Tom. People know how good um, your, you know, your husband is, how good all your friends are. They're going to compare you, right? So the voice blah, 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 like starts going round and round of all the things of why. Now, here's the thing. It's the ego, right? The ego right. is protecting you. She doesn't want you to mess up. She wants you to be loved. She wants to feel good about herself. So she knows, hey, if you go on the stage on bomb, you're about to really freaking dent and bruise your ego. So now I go in this situation, what's more important, my ego or my goals? 
Yes, girl. That's good. It's a <laughs> and, good quote. That's a good quote. And if you're listening to this and you didn't write that, that down on a post-it and stick it somewhere, you're missing out on a moment. Thank you. That's good. And it was in that moment where I, if I can be that blunt with myself, now I can at least say, make a decision. Because the truth is, and I always want to say, there's no judgment. There's no right or wrong. It is my life. If I choose that I want my ego that is more, I want to feel better about myself than going on stage. It is my life. So I want people to ask right. themselves that with no judgment. And the reason why you do that is in five or 10 years, if I turn around, Rach, and I'm like, you know what? I really didn't impact as many people as I wanted to. I can say it's because you chose your ego. Yeah. And yeah. It, and, and it is a choice. Yes. And I do think that there are people, there are a lot of people who are just sort of like, I don't know, existing in the comfort zone or like the nothingness or whatever, and don't take responsibility for the fact that not making a decision is also you making a decision. Yes. It's making a decision in opposition of whatever the goal is to sort of stay here and stay stuck in this place, but it is your choice. Like no one's going to magically come up to you and just be like, here, here it is. Mm -hmm. Here's the dream. Here's everything you've ever wanted right here in front of you. You actually have to take steps. And I love the idea of what are the goals and is this, oh, okay. Wait, I have to tell you this story because this is, this is great. If you have not yet read it, there is a book that I'm obsessed with. I'm telling everybody, everybody about called the gap versus the gain. Have you oh, heard of this? I have heard. I haven't read it Okay. Yet. Check it out. You'll read it in a sitting. It's so good. Very simple, but like such an aha. And essentially the idea is that high achievers are constantly measuring themselves between where they are and where they want to be instead of measuring yes. backwards. So if you started to measure between where you are and where you were, Ooh. that's when you see incredible momentum. It, you, you'll love it. You will love that's it. But there's this line or there's a story in the book that I am obsessed with that I wrote down on the board that you'll write down. Everyone will. It's so good. Where I'm going to butcher these dates, but just go with me. Um, the rowing team in England, the English rowing team had not won an Olympic medal in rowing since like 1904. I don't know, a very long time. And every year they try and they would get so close and they wouldn't medal. And so they made a decision that this is the year we are going to the Olympics and we are going to win gold and this is what we're going to do. And they had one simple rule one question that determined every single thing that they did every day of their life everyone in the crew asked this one question will this make the boat go faster hmm. that's it will this make the boat go faster if they were by themselves or in a group will this make the boat go faster you want to go to a party tonight will this make the boat go faster no you want to have an extra donut will this make the boat go faster no uh, you, there's 50 more reps that we need you to do. I don't want to do that. Will this make the boat go faster? And I love the simplicity of that. It's like what you said. It's like, yes or no. Is this getting you closer to the goal or is this you staying here? But either way, own that this is your decision. So true. Because here's the thing. I can get in my own way. Like my emotions can absolutely take over. And so for me, making things binary actually allow me to make a decision instead of getting lost in my own emotions. And so it's making the decision, but then there's a massive gap between deciding and then actually doing, right? It's like, mm. okay, I've decided I'm going to speak. But the fear of getting on stage, when you have anxiety and all of that, like, you can't just say, well, get on stage. Maybe you can, but I was like, I don't know how to actually get on stage. So let me come up with a game plan. And this is why, like with the radical confidence, I had zero confidence, but I needed a game plan to get on stage. So the yeah. very first thing is you have to, you have to accept a speaking gig or you have to reach out and get a speaking gig. That's step one. So I basically said, I will get caught up in my emotions if someone asks me. So team, the next person that asks me, just say yes. And that was my first, <laughs> right? Make it binary. I couldn't change my mind. I told the team, you're saying yes. Now, the first people that reached out happened to be bloody TEDx. And so I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't the universe hilarious? Isn't it so funny? Yes, I was like, oh my God. So now, of course, I'm even more in my own head. And this is where I was like, okay, this voice is very powerful. This voice is very destructive. I've been here before. So like this bitch in my head has kept me back for so long. And so she's really trying to hold me back now from like doing these, creating my dreams. So how on earth 
right now she's like my kryptonite. How can I turn her into my superpower? And so I realized, just like a friend, just like what I said about Tom, sometimes a friend is there to say the hard thing, even when you don't want to hear it. And I was like, what if my negative voice, what if the bitch in my head was like my BFF? Like what, how could I, by just by saying that, how can I listen to her in a different way? And so I was like, all right, mm-hmm. instead of just trying to block her out, it brings up this anxiety in me. Let me, let me put a, a, my arm around her. Let me cuddle her. Let me give her a cup of tea and say, homie, what do you got? To, what would you have to tell me? And then I just yeah. sat and listened. <laughs> and what she was telling me was, is that I have zero idea how to give a keynote. And here's the thing. She's right. I don't know how to give a keynote. Yeah. And so, okay, yeah. great. Thank you for letting me know. I actually have zero idea how to do it. So how can I? And so what I started to do is started to put a plan together of how I'm going to prepare. I did a speech. I wrote down a blueprint of how I was going to practice because I knew I could get my emotions, could get all worked up. The imposter syndrome can come up and now I'm never going to freaking get on stage. So I was like, all right, step yeah. one, Lisa, you're going to have your husband coach you. Great. I had him coach me. Then I was going to write my speech. Then I was going to practice. Then I was going to record it and listen to myself. Then I was going to read it to him. Then I was going to read it in front of my team. So I created a blueprint. So every step, every time that voice, that anxiety, those nerves came up, I was like, well, you've got to keep going, Lisa. Then the final thing is getting on stage. So music, like when I was at your event, I was like, headphones, put on my hype song. Everyone needs their hype song. And then my jewelry, my jewelry is like, in fact, you got kids, Rach. When you give your kids a cape, what do they do? Put it on. Their whole body changes. They become a different version of themselves. Now, since when did we beat that out of ourselves as adults? Yeah. You know, so it's like you see how a kid can put on a cape and all of a sudden they're fist in the air and they believe to their cause that they're Superman or Wonder Woman or yeah. So I was like, well, what if I could use this to my advantage to help me boost my confidence to get on stage? So the things that I always wear actually have a um, Batgirl necklace on today, like Wonder Woman, Mm -hmm. all these things I practice. Um, Repetition creates habit, right? So every Mm -hmm. time I started to put on the necklace, a little cheapy thing, I started to repeat to myself, you're like Wonder Woman, Lisa, you're like a badass. So I kept repeating that. Now, eventually you do that enough times. Now, when I put on my necklace, I feel like, like Wonder Woman. And then my boots, I have these knee high boots. And so I started calling them my bad bitch boots. And every time, (laughs) and every time I would put them on, I would zip them up and I'd be like, yeah, your bad bitch boots. Like you can even see right my face and like my energy changes. And so what I did is, so when I got, right before stage and I'm putting on my armor and I'm putting on like my cuffs and my necklace and I'm doing my hair and I'm listening to the music and I zip up my bad bitch boots. I'm prepared for battle. And so now I've literally cultivated an emotion that I didn't feel. I deliberately went in with every intention. And then the last thing to your point is what the freaking happens when you're on stage and you You freeze or you fail. That was like the last thing that my voice was warning me against. That Lisa, you will get booed off stage or even worse, Rach. (laughs) You know, when someone, have you ever seen someone on stage mess up and like they freeze and then the whole audience like takes like that. Like it's like the air has been sucked out the room. Right, right. you, You just, you feel bad for them. And so that was a worry. I didn't want to freeze and then now I've changed the dynamic and instead of empowering people now everyone feels badly for Lisa B yes, I was like I yes. fucking lost them if that happens right so I went in I was like you need a game plan Lisa for what happens if and when to your point when you fail and it's one of my chapters in my book that I call when the shit hits the fan wear goggles because the point isn't <laughs> to worry about if the shit is going to hit the fan or not because when you try anything new guaranteed something will fail and the shit will hit the fan so the question isn't how to prevent it the question is what do you do when it happens you wear goggles you protect yourself makes it easier to clean the mess up so I said what are my goggles and so the goggles were okay if everyone freezes number one when kids fall on the floor they look to their parents to see how they're going to react right mirroring we know mirroring works so now I'm like the mirroring okay so if I laugh would people just mirror my laugh And I was like, maybe they would. All right, Lisa, that's the game plan. 
You're so petrified, but you've got a game plan now. So I get on stage. I do everything that I've just said, Rach. I get prepared. I really refine it. I don't get in my own way. So I ignore my emotions because I've got this game plan. I get on stage and like three minutes in, I'm telling this whole story about how my, um, about my grandmother. And I'm like, so when my dad gave birth to my grandmother and I pause and I'm like, well, that would be weird. And I just started laughing. Everyone started laughing and I moved on. And in that moment, girl, if I didn't have a game plan, that voice would have taken over. The heart-inducing, you know, nerves that I had would have surfaced and I would have completely, and I never, I probably would never have gotten on stage again. Yeah, that's so good. I think too, I mean, if anyone's listening to this and like wanting to be a speaker, because we've been talking about that a lot. One of the things I just, it's like the human nature of it. Like, I, I love that the idea was laughter. My thing is, I still sometimes get nervous and I'll just say it. I'll just say, mm. I'm out of breath. Like, I, I'm my heart's pounding or I'm, hey guys, I know my voice is shaking. Like, give it a minute. It'll calm down or whatever. Because anytime you do a new big thing, it's so overwhelming. You're, you're like, oh crap. But I think my fallback is always just like, it's human nature. When people see someone on stage, you're literally doing something that 95% of the world's population would have a freak out if they had to do. So the (laughs) fact that you're even up there, I think makes you like a superhero. So I love the idea of having a backup plan. And I think whether you're presenting, uh, you know, doing a presentation at work or church, or you have to, whatever it is, the idea of like, you're going to give yourself an out, like a because I, I it, it's so funny you say the TED thing. I remember years ago going to a TED talk, uh, TED, whatever, where you see a bunch of speakers and this woman, she was killing it. She was doing so well. And then all of a sudden she just forgot whatever she was supposed mm. to say next. And she did the worst thing you can do as a speaker, which was repeat the last three sentences which was the moment as the audience that you realized she had just rehearsed this over and over and over and over. It was almost like you rewound the tape and then she tried, and then she got to the same spot, still didn't know what the next mm. line was and had no plan and ran off stage. Oh. And this is at Ted. And it was so, I mean, just so mortifying. And if she had just gathered her wits you're not on that stage if you're not an expert about whatever you're talking about. So she just sort of had gathered herself and started talking about anything. It'll come back. Mm. But again, it's like, if you don't have the confidence to know what to do next, if you don't have a blueprint, you don't have a roadmap, the option is to run away. And yeah, who knows? Maybe she never got on stage again because she didn't have any sort of plan. And that's the thing, right? Is like, how do I perpetually move forward? Because we are going to fail. We are going to embarrass ourselves, you know? And it's like, I used to say to him, it's like, oh my God, I don't want to fail because it's going to say something about, you know, who I am. And, some, you know, it says something about me. And what I realize is it does say something about me. It says that I care about my life enough to take a chance. That's right. what failure says about me. Right. Well, and I think I, every single artist, creative Anybody that I admire, I they're all people who've had long careers and those long careers have changed and grown and been different. You know, it wasn't just, they do a bunch of different stuff. And I think anytime that you try and do something new, whether it's, I want to write a book or it's, I want to get healthy. And this is a huge departure from my you know family and what they would want for me and all of that jazz. Anytime we change, People around us don't like it, whether it's the close friends in your life or you have a social media following and they're like, what do you do? The amount of times the people on the internet have been like, who do you think you are? Oh, you're trying to have a YouTube thing now. Oh, you're trying to do a podcast now. Oh, you think you're going to write books? Oh, like, damn, if I had stopped trying every time some mean girl on the internet made fun of me for trying something new, nobody would know my name. Nobody would be, you know, here listening to us. Like I've heard the stories of how many times you guys came up against huge opposition with Quest and like figured out a way and like that machine broke and like you figured out how to fix it yourselves and like mortgage the house, like all the crazy shit that you did. 
is why we're buying a book from you right now. Because you came up against the opportunity for failure. And even if you did fail, you you tried again, you stood up, you went. And honestly, I know it's so cliche, but I really, the core of me believes the only failure is quitting. It's the only failure yeah. to just stop trying. Like, my God, if I wanted something, I would try until I died. Just it, let keep going because at least you're living a life in pursuit of something more, of something you, of something that feels like gives you passion rather than like you said, just sort of like, man, I, I don't really like my life, but I guess it's not that bad. Yeah. And that's the problem though, right? Is that we do want to please other people, especially when they're close to us. Like it's almost, it's way easier for a stranger to say, comment like, oh my God, you've changed. You're like, yeah. You know, if you don't like me, don't follow me. Like that's, it's very easy for me to say that. Right. Because it's like, you have, um, I don't know who you are. So it's not like I'm missing you in a sense. It's like, I know what I'm trying to do. I know what my goal is. I know that I want to create impact and I know that I'll be serving people. So if I'm not able to serve you, massive respect. Like you can't serve everyone. So I can only respect that. But when it's your family or people close to you and you're changing that, I don't know how you feel, but that has been like the hardest, you know I mean? Even just take Tom, me saying when we first got married, that I wanted four children. And then I spent eight years literally taking care of every single need from he woke up his clothes were by his bed he got you know he went to work his I was handing him his lunch bag as he was walking out the door you know he came home his dinner was ready and like he didn't have to make one decision not one decision outside of the home and so for all that time I was you know really serving him and that whole time I was like well when we have kids and when this happens and when that happens and now imagine eight years later we start quest I get thrust into it I discover who I am as a human I realize what I'm capable of and now I have to tell my husband I don't want to take care of him I don't want to put his clothes out for him I hate cooking for him oh and by the way I don't want any children like that's the ones that are really freaking hard right where it's like now because you love, I mean, I love my husband more than life itself, but I also love myself. And I know that the eight years yeah. of living that life wasn't serving me. And so how on earth can I go through this evolution? Can I change? Can I put massive dreams now, which I never had and go for them and still maintain and have a relationship with my husband who I love more than life itself. It's like, that was so difficult. Well, I'm curious, like you're talking about this, this woman, this younger version of you, which I, I never got to meet. I only know this version, this badass version of Lisa, (laughs) but if you could, and like everything happens as it's meant to, that was the exact amount of time that it was going to take all of that. We know all that stuff. Let's wave a magic wand. Let's go back to that, Lisa, not year one, let's say three years into the process, not eight, three years in. All right. Because there's someone listening to this that's there, right? There's maybe more than someone, maybe more than one listening to this that's like in that spot. What did she need to hear that she didn't know? Like, what was the thing? Like, if someone, it's hard to explain this because I know so many people who have kind of what you're talking about. We're like, life is good. Life's good. It's not great not exciting it's nothing nothing super special but it's not bad mm-hmm. so life's okay right and there there's this sort of hunger right there's something in them that says there's more here there's more here what did she like what was the tool or what was the thing that would have saved you 5 years of time if you had known this or if you had like if someone had said if they shook your shoulders or like girl like yes yeah. What do you um, think that the first, was? The first thing that says, what happens if the when never comes? So, you know, you say, I would do this when. Yes. Because one time, this hit me like a ton of bricks. And you know, sometimes you have to also be open to it. You have to be open to that message. Yeah. But I remember once when I was working yeah. and it was like, I, I'm I'm a little, what's the word? You know, I used to be a perfectionist. I don't pride myself on that at all anymore. And I've changed my ways, but I used to be a perfectionist trying to do everything, of course, as a lot of many of us try to do women, especially. Um, and so Tom was asking me to do something. I was like, but babe, I've got this and I can't do this and I've got to do this. And I've got, I'm like, I'm not done yet. And he turns around and he's like, 
but babe, if you're doing what you love, you'll never be done. And I was like, you're right. And so as you were talking, I was thinking about what almost the opposite is. And it's like, what if the when never comes? Yeah, that's good. Are you okay that's with so that? Good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is this going to be enough? If there is, if someday never comes, if this is it, if this good, this good enough is it for the rest of your life, are you happy? And maybe there are people who'd be like, yeah, this is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I'm and like, do you? But if you can't say that without question, like, yes, a million percent. If there's even a moment of pause, that's a really good, like, okay, well, then what is going to make you happy? Because tomorrow is not guaranteed. There's so no true. way of knowing what, yeah, there's no way of knowing. And because you said this earlier, we're so evolving, right? It's like, well, we started off as a podcast host and maybe you're now on YouTube and you're an author and all this, like all this evolution comes to us like, does that move you towards the thing that you're really loving that's filling your heart? And then also like how I pivot, because it is like almost like that changing of identities. And I know that a lot of us talk about this, like, especially when it's like, you know, for me, it was like, I was a stay-at-home wife and I was a supportive wife. And then changing the identity of now I'm an entrepreneur, but hang on a minute, there's still a part of me that loves being a supportive wife. So does that mean I have to give up that identity, right? So like this identity crisis notion um, is something I really had to process. And instead of putting a label on it, just kind of saying, don't put a label on it. But then the other thing, every time I'm trying to make a pivot, I just say to myself, like, and I don't feel like I've got the confidence, right? And it's like, oh, but should I be doing that? Blah, blah, blah. The question, the easy question I just ask myself is, what would life look like if you didn't? Like, if you keep doing what you're doing right now, right today, what would a year from now look like? Mm. What would five years from now look like? And what would 10 years from now look like? If you kept doing what you're doing now and now ask yourself, does it excite you? And if the answer That's is so no, good. it lets you know that maybe you need to start asking yourself some more questions. And there's like a chapter in my book that I actually call um, Open the Can of Worms and Embrace the Ick. And it basically is about like opening the can of worms is asking yourself the hard questions. And embracing the ick means you have to deal with all the mess that comes with asking that question. Yeah. So, you know, for an example, I mean, we all know like the pandemic brought up a lot of, you know, things for a lot of us. But, you know, one of the questions I know a lot of people ask is, am I happy in this relationship or in this marriage? And we all know why we don't ask ourselves that question, because it's so hard, because what if you answer it and the answer is no? Yeah. Now, all the ick that comes with it, right? It's that, well, do I have to have some? bank accounts now who gets the kids you know who stays in the house who gets them at Christmas am I going to die alone like all the shit that comes with asking one freaking hard question girl you understand why so many of us just turned a blind eye and like well I ain't freaking asking myself that question and yeah. for the next five years you keep living the same life because you're so afraid of asking yourself that one question right I actually think you're you're most afraid of asking the question that you already know the answer to but you don't want to admit to yourself. You don't want to admit that, you know, because you know what, you know, all the other things, like, you know what the worms are. And so you're like, I'll just keep this, you know, I can distract over here. I can do this. So this is good enough. And as someone who, you know, made a massive life change, completely flipped my life upside down because it, it wasn't like, mm -hmm. I could trick myself in a lot of ways and say like, I can be strong enough. I can handle this for all of us. I can do all the things. It, the energy required to do that was so, so detrimental to my spirit, to my soul. But in, I had done it for so long that I was like, I got this. I can do this. I can keep going. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm smart and I'm strong and I can figure this out and this will be better because then we don't have to do all these hard things. And it was, and so is hard, but it was a lot of really intense hardship, but immediately, I mean, you and I have talked about this, like just as friends, like immediately, even in the suck, even in how bad it was, how hard it was, all of it, immediately there was a boulder off my chest. There was just the capacity to hold space where I wasn't holding, I wasn't energetically trying to keep all of that together. I was able to just 
I pour into my kids and take care of myself. And, you know, all of that came on the other side of asking really hard question and finally having the courage to say a real answer. So now I'm going to ask a very long time. So now I'm going to ask you then that the same question you asked me, if some, you could go back to the Rachel that was saying, I can do this. I've got this. I can work harder. I've got this for the kids. I can manage it, blah, blah, blah. What was the thing you would have said to not have then gone a few more years? I I guess I wish I would have understood what it was costing me Hmm. to try and save someone else. I, you know, I grew up sort of believing that that's what you do, right? In sickness and in health till death do us part, the whole thing. And I, I heard once this was about business, but I heard someone say like, just because you can, doesn't mean you should, (laughs) you know, and I could manage Mm -hmm. all of those things. And I just, yeah, I wish like the honest truth is like, you can't save him. Yeah. That's what, that's what I needed to hear. And that I really thought I could figure it out. I could be smart enough. I could outsmart it. I could do enough. I could. And yeah, I mean, that's like getting deep and sort of going off topic, but it is the truth. Um, I think a lot of people do that. You enable or you're codependent or you, you're like, I got this. And I didn't. And I, I lost. I mean, not lost because we live a life, right? But yeah, I kept telling myself, like, I got to stay in this for the kids and I got to, it's going to be okay. And I, and it's actually interesting that you asked this because I wouldn't even let myself, I knew the worms were there. I knew in my heart, the answer that I didn't want to look at, but I wouldn't even let myself go down that road. And actually, I think your advice is beautiful because I think if I had just, you know, okay, for one hour, we're going to open this can of worms and we're going to be okay with whatever comes out. At least then I would have been looking at the honest truth instead of deny, 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 get busy, look over here, don't pay attention to that. Yeah, that's what it was. Because if I had sat with myself in honesty, I would have saved five years. Yeah, girl. And that's the thing is that, you know, everyone needs to make whatever decision is right for them. And, you know, my my book is really just trying to help show people the things that they may be turning a blind eye to, the things that kept me stuck because I kept waiting for things to happen. I kept waiting for my life to change, you know, and so I have zero judgment or really care about what decision people make in their lives. You know, really, I think the truth is if you can look at that list, right, and or look at all the things that you're, um, the, the, the hard questions that maybe you're afraid to ask, and let's say you answer them, and then let's say you decide to ignore the answer. Okay, well, at least that's your choice that you're making. But I think being able to just look at that and then being able to make a decision is like so freeing to me. Then that anxiety of trying to hide and pretend that you're not looking at something or pretending that something doesn't exist. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man. So good. I I do think that that's a huge like there's something the other day I keep thinking about this. I, you know, um, Tim Grover, you know, Tim Grover, Relentless. So I interviewed him on podcasts like, I don't know, a year, last year or something. And he said this thing that I have heard in a bunch of different ways. And I'm like, it's just blowing my mind. It sort of feels like kind of what you're saying here is, yes, we need to have tools and skills and ideas. And here's what we're going to do. But really, there's incredible power in just like releasing the stuff that shouldn't be there. So for instance, I was asking him, I'm like, okay, you get this opportunity. You're going to train Michael Jordan. And he wasn't training Michael Jordan at age 17. He was training Michael Jordan when he was already Michael Jordan. And I'm like, how in the hell do you even, where do you even start? Like you get this opportunity, you know, it's once in a lifetime. How do you try and train him to be better? And he was like, oh no, you don't. (laughs) Nope. He's like, you don't try and train. He's like, I have never tried to train an athlete at that level to be better. My job is to get rid of their flaws. Yes. Get rid of the deficiencies. Like if he's got a bad ankle on his left side, I'm not trying to make his jump shot better, but if I can get rid of what's going on with his ankle, then everything exponentially goes up. And so it's like, 
your thing is like, could we just look at what's really going on here? Can we just actually listen to the voice in our head? Can we just actually sit with this? Can we ask some hard questions? Can we look at the flaws? Can we look at the weaknesses? Because if those are handled, the lightness that that's enough to give you a boost in the right direction. A thousand percent. And um, I think a lot of us, though, the reason why we don't want to look at the flaws is because we want to highlight our, our strengths because we get pats on the back for the strengths. We get praises for the strengths. Yeah. So um, there's actually right in my book about Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I don't know if you ever read his autobiography. It's so good. Go, you. It's oh, so will, good. I will check it out. Yeah. It's so good. So he basically talks about how he was getting, I mean, accolades, accolades for his upper body, right? Like he had the best pecs and the best shoulders. And what he would do is he would always wear long pants because he said his legs were so skinny. And so he would hide them. And so he was getting all these accolades for the pats on the back. And he realized if he wanted to be Mr. Olympia, if he wanted to be Mr. Universe, he had to stop hiding from his flaws and he had to stop focusing on getting the accolades for the things that were amazing. So what he did is he started to cover up his top half of his body and he would go to the gym in shorts. And so he literally said, I made a delay. I made a deliberate effort to show off my flaws, hide all of my accolades so that I wasn't being fueled by the things that I'm already great at. And instead, use the negativity, use use the sting to help me get my flaws to be strengths. That's awesome. I'm definitely going to check it out. Oh my gosh. And of course, like I've, we've managed to talk for a full hour and it felt like five <laughs> minutes to me. Really I do want to make sure though, we've been talking about you, we've been talking about your book, Soul, that we have not even said the title. What is the title? Where can people <laughs> find it? Where can they follow you on social? This is what happens when you talk to your friends. You forget uh, you podcast host. Thank you. I've had so much fun though, girl. Thank you for having me on. I freaking love you. Um, I love you too. And uh, uh, thank you. So my book is called Radical Confidence, the 10 no BS lessons on becoming the hero of your own life. And it's where every book is sold. And then also you can go to radicalconfidence.com where there's like a whole bunch of like fun bonuses and things like that. Um, and then follow me at Lisa Billiou. Perfect. Lisa, girl, I love you. Thank you so much for your oh. wisdom. Again, coming back on the show. We're wishing thank all the luck me, and all the love and all the good vibes as you push this out into the world. Thank you, my homie. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.